Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Sports Drink Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a post-NBA draft lottery presented by uh, <laughs> Allstate, whatever uh, uh, edition of The Bird Calls. I am David Grubb, and I'm joined by Ali Cosell, editor-in-chief of The Bird Rights, and Jamal Dunn, who is a member of The Bird Rights crew. And um, gentlemen, the Pelicans stay in the 14th spot. Not much of a surprise there. But this division now gets a lot more interesting, certainly. And we'll start with the top with the Spurs winning the lottery and the rights to Victor Wimbignana. This dramatically, you know, changes the outlook for the Spurs team, which had would pretty much bottomed out last season. But now they get to add the best prospects since, since LeBron James. Jamal, I'll let you go first. Your thoughts on this new addition coming into the division and what that means for the Pelicans. Um <laughs> Well, my first thought is kind of what we were talking about before we got on was it's too perfect. Like, it's so perfect. Like, you know, the foreign big man who does everything right, who plays the right way. Uh, now you have Wimbanyama, who's actually kind of like melds the two of those guys' games, right? Because Robinson's like even more dynamic offensively than, than Duncan. So, like it's way too perfect, and when you look at what the Spurs have now, it's crazy how like in the NBA one player can make like uh, an okay roster look so much better. Assuming Wimbanyama is actually as advertised, but you know you look at at Wimbanyama, uh, Sochan, Jeremy Sochan at the four, uh, perfect fit. Both of those guys can pass, uh, can dribble the ball, all those all those things. You know, I'm not in, as in love with the rest of their roster, but they they do have good, solid players around that can have like a functional roster, at least early on with women Yama. And, you know, down the line, the team will look different, but um, it's, it's way too perfect. And coming off the heels of what OKC is doing in this division, um, you know, Dallas is pretty much. But Houston. Yeah, I, I actually like I like what Houston's doing. I think they need to make some of the right moves, and they're not they're not going to be good next year. They'll probably be right back in the lottery, the top five. But they do have some good young players, and if Udoka makes the right moves and and their front office brings in the right veterans, and because that's really the problem with Houston is they're too young. You know, even though they're super talented, we've seen teams like that with the Pels, right? Where it's just you can't have a bunch of 19, 20 year olds and win anything. So. They've got to make some moves, but they definitely have the pieces, right? So, so I mean, to be honest, the only, you know, this this division's almost trending back where it used to be, right? Where you know you had to get fifty wins uh, just to like get uh, just to get you know out of the division, 
Um, so uh, I think we're going sort of back to the future. Yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> the, the talent level at the top of this division, you look at the, the very best players. You got Luka Doncic in Dallas, a top three pick. Then you go over to Houston and you look at what they've assembled over the last couple of years um, with some very talented young players. And now you add San Antonio, like like Jamal was talking about with Kelvin Johnson, Devin Vassell, uh, Jerry Sochan, and now Victor Wimbignana. And then, of course, Oklahoma City with all the young talent they have, a first-team All-NBA player in SGA. And you're going to add to that Chet Holmgren. The arms race, so to speak, in this division just continues to ramp up. Absolutely. I mean, I was laughing at Houston, but look, they've got Green. They've got Jabari Smith. They've got Ime Yudoka, who you've got to believe is going to bring some kind of discipline and more cohesiveness, right, to their play. Because that's one thing I don't think we got out of Silas. But that talent was evident, right? Remember when the Pelicans lost that one game where they should have won, right? Six weeks, six weeks out of the playing tournament. So, yeah, it doesn't make it any easier. And all of a sudden, you've got to think Memphis, right, with what's going on with John Morant. They might be at the bottom, even though that team has proven, right, to be deserving of consideration to be a legitimate, maybe title contender. But now with John Morant's off the court struggles, maybe that's open. But again, the talent, right? Speaking from talent. For the Pelicans, it's all going to come down to health. We've all talked about it ad nauseum for the last few years. But for the Spurs, you know, having somebody like Greg Popovich, having their system that's in place on being able to groom legitimate talent. And I know that I feel like Jamal maybe shortchanged a little bit of their roster. But I'll tell you what, I like Devin Vassell. I like them coming out of the draft. I think Keldon Johnson's a worthy piece. And then when you add somebody that's a good role player like Trey Jones, all of a sudden I, I feel like that team alone, right, that starting five alone, probably win more than half their games, right? So even 500 teams. So the Pelicans, the road is not easy, right, to get into a legitimate top four seed in the West. And I really don't know what to say other than I feel like David Griffin now is more, even maybe more so is, has to feel the pressure, right? You talked about all the faults, right? I'm glad that we didn't finish higher than we should have in this ex- exit interview to where we had some false hope for the future, but now I think that pressure is definitely there. So say even if you get through and you can get 60 games out of BI, Zion, basically the core that we didn't get out last season, how many games can they legitimately win in the West when you've got to go through the Southwest division? It, it's close, right, guys? Because the, the Pelicans team doesn't have the experience, doesn't have the thing to win on a Yeah, I'm at a loss for words. I'm happy, honestly, that the Spurs got Victor Wimbanyama. You want to see that talent land somewhere where you didn't think that he would have been held back, there would have been any kind of, you know, issues with his growth, development, say. And I'm not throwing shade at, say, a Charlotte, say, a Detroit, wherever else he could have ended up. But let's face it, San Antonio is the best place he could have ended up, and now it's a Pelicans problem. You look at this team's history. With David Griffin in the lottery, you know, he's had, what, six picks total. Of those six, you've gotten one all-star in Zion Williamson, who's a, a infrequent guest of the star of your team. You've got <laughs> two starters in Zion and Trey Murphy the third. 
But the rest of your lottery picks, Nikhil Alexander-Walker was traded. Jackson Hayes looks like he's out the door. Kyra Lewis Jr. is a giant question mark going into the last year before you have to decide whether extend to extend him or not. And then Dyson Daniels had moments, but you could see why his confidence was gone by the end of the season, particularly offensively. Defensively, he looks like an NBA player. Offensively, he has a long way to go. The Pelicans have never outright held the 14th pick in the draft. But in this range, they haven't done particularly well. With 13 pick, they've had Julian Wright and Kyra Lewis. And at the 15th pick, they took Cedric Simmons. This area of the draft has been really tough for the Pelicans. One of the things we talked about is should they punt on this pick? Ali, I'll let you go first on this. Going into the draft now, knowing what you know about this roster and this team and the expectations for this year, does staying where they were are in the draft order incentivize David Griffin to move this pick in order to get more veteran help for this team going into this re- this critical year? Yeah, I think it does. When you look at what's transpired in these uh, playoffs, veterans, they matter, right? Look at what... Supposedly supposed to do, right? Look, Boston, best talented team in the East. They've had their faults to where they've dropped some games to where people are wondering, can they get out of their own series? And and what's been a determining factor, honestly, has come down to these vets, right? So you surround good young talent with these vets that are proven winners that have been through it before, and the Pelicans don't have that. And I know that CJ McCollum, Larry Nance really help, right? That that side of things, but that's not enough. Right. When Willie Green's going to his bench, you can't look at and remember Pelicans didn't have too many healthy moments to where they could have gone to every option that was available per se at the start of the season. But still, when you're going to maybe a Jose Alvarado, a Najee Marshall, you don't have as much confidence as say when you look at, like I said, a team like that we've always talked about but considering this pick considering how many young guys they have that are still not developed not even close to it not even Trey Murphy not even Herb Jones you've got to think that this pick seems more enviable on the trade market than it does cashing it in say for a Derek Lively I mean I've got my choices right I, I feel like I've got four players and I don't know if we want to get into it tonight but that I feel like could help the Pelicans down the road like a Grady Dick but as far as next year, when you, you really want to start winning now, I don't think they, they could help, right? Yeah, I think, no. Jamal, I think that is the biggest issue is that in this rotation, we've talked about the Pelicans' biggest problem is the need to get to eight guys that you can really trust. And in that are still a good collection of young players who need to grow. Herb Jones going into his third year. Trey Murphy going into his third year. Zion Williamson essentially – his third year, even though he's going to be year six, it'll be roughly his third year worth of games. So you're talking about a still a very young core of players that you're counting on. Dyson Daniels going into his second year, Kyra Lewis going into his fourth year, but officially like really more like his second or third year as far as games played. Does adding another 19 or 20-year-old make sense? No. I mean, look, if you somehow got lucky and got to the top of the draft, maybe – first or second pick or something like that, then sure, the talent is so overwhelming that you have to you have to go ahead and take that player. But down you know, at the bottom of the lottery, uh, as Ali mentioned, it's probably not going to be a guy who can make an impact right now. And, and they need to trade the pick for multiple reasons. 
Number one being that, you know, the player who they pick is likely not going to be able to contribute. Even a guy like Derek Lively has some gro- growth to do, right? Um, and if you even if you picked him there, you kind of will be reaching just because you need a rim protector, right? And then the other re- the other reason is they really we started with uh, they really kind of have a two year window in this division to make some make some noise, right? Because yeah, there's a, plenty of talent in the division, but it's all young. So in a couple of years. That a lot of that, that talent is going to be maturing and starting to sort of sort of uh, try to win, but in the meantime, it's really still going to be the Grizzlies and the Mavs that are trying to compete um, for playoff spots. So in these next couple of years, they need to make a move. Not to mention Brandon Ingram has two years left on his deal, so a decision is going to have to be made there. You hope to eventually have him and Zion play a decent amount of games so you can make a good decision moving forward, and then. Oh, by the way, the front office and the coaching staff's contracts are coming short. So in the next year or two, everything has to happen for every for every sort of big player in this organization, obviously, other than the owner. And so picking somebody at 14 is not going to help you with that. And you're not going to get somebody better than Nick Claxton at 14, Daniel Gafford at 14, Wendell Carter at 14, any of those guys that you could trade for using that pick. Um, you're not going to find that at 14, or if you do, that person's not going to get to that level until you know three, four years from now when everybody's been fired. So, one of the interesting things, though, I think that works to the Pelicans' benefit in trying to make a deal is the fact that the Pistons fell to fifth, because the best available player at five is probably a big, and the Pistons, the one thing they are stocked up on is bigs. So if they're going to be forced, essentially, if they can't find a partner. That's going to help them because I think they're looking for either they were looking for exceptional young talent or they're looking to improve in the areas where they're weaker, which would be on their wing positions. Then I think that that's a team that has a lot of rugged power forward center types that maybe aren't the longest, but at the very least help address the Pelicans issues at, at, at rebounding and maybe some post defense there. I'm glad you mentioned Detroit because that's somebody I circled for as a potential trade partner for David Griffin. And I'm going to publish an article. And I was hoping that actually Victor Wimben went in, in there because that made it easy. Traded for James Wiseman, drafted Jalen Duran. And don't forget about Isaiah Stewart. Mm-hmm. So I feel like actually Duran or Stewart could really Pelicans, whether it's in a back role or a starting role. And I still think that. It is pertinent, even though they fell to five, as as you mentioned, right? They they still are probably going to be choosing from amongst whether it's big wings or a big and big in the paint for the draft pick. And I'll tell you what, you're not going to be playing all those guys, right? So you got to think some of them might be on the block, and the Pelicans need help. We've talked about it ad nauseum. You can't rely on Larry Nance to get through 82 games, and I love what he provides, but it's not nearly enough. And when you've seen what Willie Green's done with Jonas Valanciunas to where he hasn't utilized his strengths consistently off, on, on offense, you've got to look in a different direction. Man, I'm glad you mentioned Jackson Hayes. I, I just feel like he's he's so out the door already. It's not even worth talking about his potential return on any kind of you know, happen. It doesn't make any sense. He hasn't seen any growth in his game. There's no reason for the Pelicans to pay him to come back. You've got to move on from him. 
Same thing almost with Billy Hernan Gomez. Signed a three-year deal. This upcoming season is going to be a team option on, on the final year of his contract. And I feel like it's just better to let him go, right? Find some greener pastures where he's going to get playing time. Because that's what he demanded this past offseason. And as, as we saw, Willie Green wasn't comfortable even opting for a lot of times going to Jackson Hayes, who didn't prove himself worthy of minutes. So the Pelicans almost need to revamp that entire center position. And I think Detroit offers a lot of possibilities to where I feel like they need some wings, right? The Pelicans have excess almost. I look at Najee Marshall. He could be a pivotal piece that goes to Detroit. You get back in Isaiah Stewart. And and if they really maybe don't see a future for Duran because they're so hopeful on Wiseman or maybe Bagley, that you could maybe pursue him as well. So, yeah, David, I feel like that's what this upcoming free agency, this draft, that's what it's going to be about. See what teams are doing and then being able to take care or take advantage of the situation to where they're overloaded at a certain position where the Pelicans, they're deficient. I mean, Jamal, the Pelicans have to get, you know, we talked about their length and athleticism at center, but let's just look at the front courts in this division right now. Houston, Alvarez Sanguin, Jabari Smith Jr., Willie Cauley-Stein, all long and athletic, single and not the most athletic guy, but a great passer and shooter at his size. Dallas, JaVale McGee, Dwight Powell, we'll see if they come back, but that's still length and athleticism that has given the Pelicans problem. San Antonio, Wimbanyana, Sojan, we talked about them. Memphis, Stephen Adams, Jaron Jackson Jr., you know, that athleticism, Brandon Clark, guys who are athletic and, and, and strong around the basket. So it's just become more apparent in this in this offseason and then like you see as you look at the playoffs the teams that have gotten deep all have really good front court players whether it's Robert Williams and Al Horford in Boston mm-hmm. doing a great job there in Miami Bam Adebayo doing a fantastic job defending up front there uh, certainly with, with we know what Denver has we know what the Lakers have so I think it's just highlighted the fact that the Pelicans have to get better up front yeah they they have to and they really need to bring in multiple right kind of to Ali's point like they probably need to sign one and because you know even with even if you liked Jonas and Nance you were always one sprained ankle away from from being desperate and playing somebody you really didn't want to play and you don't be in that position you need at least three right we see that you know Jonas is pretty and it's going to work one of a if you trade for a guy with a higher salary then Jonas is probably heading out if you get a guy who's on a rookie deal or just a smaller veteran deal, then then maybe you can just add 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 that to to uh, to to Jonas and Nance, which in my mind I kind of think of it in along two tracks because the way I like for teams to build their roster in terms of their front court, I like to have different skill sets for uh, my big men. I like having somebody who can score in the post, pass out of the post. I like having a rim protector, rebounder guy. I like to have a guy who can stretch the floor a little bit and maybe defend on the perimeter a little bit. So I like being able to have, because different matchups are going to call for different things. And so my preference would be to keep Jonas. Of course, there's a Willie Green factor of does he want to use Jonas? So that's something that has to be worked out. But my preference would be to keep Jonas, maybe trade for uh, a player and maybe sign a guy like Nas Reed or someone on the open market, even JaVale McGee, right, as a one-year stopgap. So you've got multiple styles and and multiple types of players. Now, if you ask me to bet, I would bet that Jonas gets moved. 
which, you know, I, I think is a fine move if you went along, along that route. Um, it does take a skill set away from you. If Zion is healthy, then it kind of doesn't matter because you have your post score, but that's a big if, right? So there's a lot a lot for Griffin and the, and the team to think about. And it's still always tough when we count Zion as a post score because he scores in the paint, but he can't turn his back. Sure. You know, and Jonas, you can throw it in and he can turn his back to the basket. And I think that's a little bit different. He doesn't get his shot blocked on the, on the block as, as often as Zion will. You know, Zion's going to be the most blocked guy in the league year after year. So it's, I think it's just really tough if they don't have somebody with length who can finish around the bucket. And we just, we have not seen that from the Pelicans with consistency outside of Jonas. And as you said, Willie Green's lack of trust, it seems, in him puts so much on the shoulders of Zion Williamson that it just seems like they have to figure out some type of veteran solution to trust somebody that you can throw the ball into every once in a while. Yeah, their desire to play is pretty darn obvious, right? Valanciunas barely played in clutch minutes this season. And I thought last year he proved himself to the team, right, to where B.I. got to a slow start, was injured, slow coming back. He was the one guy you could rely on for offense, right, for certain contributions like rebounding, defense right near the rim. And for them to go away from it this year, especially when Zion went out. And I won't forget, you know, Valanciunas got off to a little bit of a slow start this year because everybody's healthy. He was a fourth option. But then when Z got hurt, yeah, they went to him. You know, Valanciunas had those 20 and 10 games. But, boy, that dried up after about a week and a half, guys. And that's when that 10-game losing streak hit. And, and I was just shocked that you didn't even try and force the ball more in the units, try and figure out the offense, structure it around him more. And then you had certain players then start coming out saying, yeah, we got to get him involved more, right? Like CJ, post-game interviews saying stuff like that, B.I. And, and they were slow to evolve to that. So that just screams to me that that's not the desired path for this team under Willie Green. So I personally like Jonas, just like Jamal does, and I feel like he could contribute to this team. But I just feel like the writing's on the wall, right? They're better looking for another option out there. So where they go from here, I mean, that's that. Um, guys, who you trade for, who you want to maybe even ch- chase in a draft if, if you keep the pick, things like that, because they got a short best center position. I love Larry Nance. But look, he seems like he's only capable of giving you 1,500 minutes, right? That's not nearly enough when you consider how much time Zion's going to be expected to miss with what his career has entailed so far. And you've got to have bigs. I know that that's not in vogue, but let's face it. The Pelicans, when they didn't have Jonas out there, they couldn't rebound the ball. When they need to get a score and they were missing a B.I. or Zion, and if you're not going to go to you know Jonas, you've got, to, you've got to have some kind of option. They didn't have it. They didn't go to it. So there's a lot of question marks. And th- this roster is best suited at figuring out that position, right, moving forward. Because I feel like we're all confident, right? They're not going to move on from CJ, B.I., Zion. And then you've got to give a lot of credit, right, to Trey. Trey's going to be that fourth guy. And Herb ain't going to Right, yeah, they love what Herb brings. But yet you're still missing that impact player in the post with whatever he can bring, right, with his skill set. Yeah, I think that's that's the missing ingredient we'll see because it's there aren't a ton of bigs available this offseason. So the Pelicans are going to have to be aggressive in whatever deal that they make. And we'll have some time to analyze that um, as we get deeper into the offseason. Certainly we'll look at players and where these the Pelicans may be able to find a suitable draft partner. Uh, I mean, a trade partner or a free agent that they can can match up with. 
But I think it's it's going to take some creativity on David Griffin's part. It's not going to be a straight up one for one deal. I think that solves this. There's going to to be multiple teams involved because I think this offseason in this league, everybody seems to think that they can win a championship right now. 20 teams in this league. That's why you see so many coaches getting fired. That's why you see so many changes getting made is because everybody looks at this league right now and sees there's no dominant team. This playoffs have shown us there's no dominant team. So I think a lot of teams are looking to whatever that change of their slight, the slight change of their recipe is, teams will be looking to move their deck chairs. And the Pelicans have to get creative and find that spot. Um, guys, I'll give you your last word here before we get out. Uh, Jamal, any final thoughts on the lottery and, and uh, with the, the short-term outlook for the Pels? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, unlike Pels games, the, the drama was over very quickly, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but, you know, with this pick, I mean, I think it's obvious they have to trade it. There's like literally almost it almost takes away their leverage if you know if they're smart GMs actually looking at the position they're in, right? But I would almost be willing to overpay for the right fit if you could get a guy like say Jalen Duran or Duran, sorry. Um, I would overpay for it. Like we've talked about other guys like uh, Okongwu from from Atlanta. I would overpay. I'm not doing a go bear overpay, right? But if it costs me a, a, a first and uh, you know maybe a couple second round picks plus maybe a player like Najee who I really don't want to give up, I would do that because, like you guys are saying, the window is short and the window is also open, right? If you want to look at it on a positive note, because there is no dominant team, um, and next season, let's say Denver wins the championship or the Celtics win. You're not going into the season thinking it's like the, when the Warriors won. Like I don't know if we can get past that. And you're one sprained ankle from Tatum or Jokic away from a, uh, a series that maybe the Pels might go into thinking they can't win to actually getting past a lot, of, uh, which is a lot of what you see with the Lakers. The Lakers are a solid team, but they're not really. In past years, would not have been a Western Conference Finals team, but because the West is. Is is so uh, upside down right now, and there's been injuries and a lot of just stuff going on. They're now in the Western Conference Finals, and who knows what happens once you get there. And so the Pels could be in that position next year, but only if they make the right decision. So that's kind of where I stand. So I, I feel like you've built up all this ammo. Griffin loves to talk about their 15 picks and all that. Okay, well, you can't possibly draft 15 guys in the next seven, eight years. Use some of that. If you got to overpay, it doesn't. I remember Stan Van Gunny said once, you know, that, you know, like sports writers kind of look at, you know, the, the, what you can get like on a bargain, right? Whereas coaches just look at it as, can I get a good player? It doesn't matter if I had to pay a little bit more if I have the good player because you need good players to win. So this is the time to cash in that all those picks and assets they've built up and actually make a move because. They don't have much time left. This is kind of it. Yeah, Ali, I think, you know, every offseason, it's kind of like an election year where you go, this is the most important election you've ever had. But this is quite literally the most important offseason for the Pelicans because I don't think if, if they don't get that momentum now to take the steps to where they get the public behind them, to get this franchise behind them again, the players again, believing that this franchise is really moving forward. I think it's it's going to be just harder to recover if there's another lost year, so to speak, where you don't feel like even if, you know, like this year, they won more games the year before, but you felt like it was a step back. They can't afford that 
And so I think that the, the, as you said, this just highlights the pressure that David Griffin, Willie Green, and the rest of these people are under. There's no other savior coming in. You didn't get saved by the lottery. You've got to do this in the house. You've got to figure this out together. And I think, you know, that, that onus is back right on this team. There's no doubt the team collectively as a whole took a step back this year. And you felt that with the exit interviews, right? CJ McCollum, I don't think expected to have his playoff streak come to an end this season. Larry Nance expected a lot more things, and he's probably the most vocal, right? Podcast. He was on Ryan Rossello's podcast today that I listened to. And that disappointment's real. So you have to bounce back from that. And I loved one thing that I don't think has been given enough credence to what David Griffin said in terms of moving forward with this team. And that is a simple fact that they, they're not going to sit pat. And, and moreover, they know what their weaknesses are. And we saw it firsthand. In that first half, everybody loved that story. They were in first place. They were 23 and 12. But as Griff said, they were not as good as their record indicated. And that is so true. If you looked at who was contributing, who was honestly pertinent to that core of winning, there were some actual faults. And I feel like it all came in that center position, right? Whether it was shooting or at the center position. So for me, yeah, Larry Nance proved himself during that first, you know, what, quarter, third of the season. Same thing with Jose Alvarado. Then you had Trey Murphy, B.I., Zion, C.J. But I feel like that team never squeezed the juice out of Jonas. They definitely got nothing out of Yon, or excuse me, out of Jackson Hayes. Billy Hernan Gomez was that third wheel that was always begging right on social media to get playing time. So that is where you've got to attack in the offseason on improvement. I think they're going to do it because I feel like this front office, if there's one thing we've learned after that first year where they tried to make big swings at a lot of unproven talent, like with the Jackson Hayes, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, they've now refined on how they draft how they trade, on how they fill holes. So I'm confident that they know what they need to do, but who, who's gettable, right? And, and at what price? I love that Jamal mentions Okongwu. I have loved that guy since the draft. I wrote a big piece on the bird rights. He was my number one target for the Pelicans back when he was coming out of the draft. I don't think he's gettable. So now you turn to and you've got to pivot. Is it Nicholas Claxton? Because Brooklyn Nets know, hey, we've got some great role players, You've got to build around, right? You need that in place first. So maybe he can be had. And then you just go up and through all the teams, right? Whether it's Charlotte with Mark Williams, Detroit, we've already touched on them. You've got to find your center that can be a stopgap to maybe even part of the future. That's can give you, like I said, the 1,500 minutes. And the Pelicans played their best, right, in terms of plus minus with him on the court. But you can't rely on him 82 games. Can he get to the playoffs, be healthy? No. So, yeah, that that's where I, that that that's all I'm going to be looking at honestly over the next couple months. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. We'll see what the Pelicans do, but we'll definitely be back to give our thoughts on who they should trade for and what teams are our potential matches. Um guys, thank you so much for joining me. Um Ali Cosell, Jamal Dunn, and uh I am David Grubb. This has been the bird calls. We'll see y'all soon.
listening to the Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today.